Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 5? As you're turning there, I want to share some background with you. Matthew chapter 3 records the beginning of Jesus' public ministry by first telling us of his baptism by John in the Jordan River. Matthew records that at his baptism, the heavens opened up and the Spirit of God descended upon him as a dove. And the voice from heaven spoke and said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is led by the Spirit. I want you to hear this. He's led by the Spirit into the desert. And we're going to do a message on the desert here soon. What an experience to be able to go out and to stay in the desert. And Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert where he was tempted by the devil after he had fasted for 40 days. Oftentimes we skim over those details, but that fact stands out really as very important to me today. Before Jesus began his what we know as his public ministry, he first spent 40 days in a desert place fasting without anything to eat. I don't know about you, I just feel impressed, and I may be taking a little diversion, but I just feel impressed that that's something you and I need to do. That you and I need to, we need to set aside some time, even this week, where we say, God, I'm going to fast, I'm going to humble myself, and I just want to hear from you. Does anybody here need to hear from God? I don't know what I would do if I didn't hear his voice. I don't know what I would do. And there's those seasons and those times when it feels like he's so far away and we're not sure what to do. And we're looking for direction and we're looking for guidance. And may I assure you that when you humble yourself and fast, that God shows up. Your ears become attentive and he prepares you for the things that are ahead. And so I'd just like to encourage you. I'd like to encourage you this week. I'm going to set aside three days this week where I'm going to fast. I'm going to ask you that you would just set aside some time. And you know what I found? Sometimes we don't know exactly what we're fasting for, but the Spirit does. There's things that are coming your way. There's situations that you're going to be facing that you need to be prepared for. There's breakthroughs that God is waiting for someone. There's people who need to be delivered and set free. The scripture says this kind comes out only through fasting and prayer. And so there's things that happen in the spirit that can only be accomplished as we fast and pray. And so I want to encourage you this week to set aside a few days and fast. And I would encourage you to do a total fast. You know, you can drink water, but a total fast where you just say, God, I want to seek after you this week so that I can be ready Whenever those opportunities come my way, our community needs a release of the Holy Spirit. Our families need to see the power of the Holy Ghost. We need to have an anointing upon our lives whenever the opportunities present themselves. And that comes as we fast and pray, as we humble ourselves before God. Going back to our text, sometime later Jesus heard that John had been put into prison. He was put into prison by Herod Antipas. And Jesus left his hometown of Nazareth... And he traveled east to the region of the Galilee, where according to scripture, he lived in a town called Capernaum. And a few weeks ago, we sent you a video from Capernaum. And we might show that a little bit here today in just a moment. Capernaum was located on the northwest shore. If here's the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum is located on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee, about two and a half miles. Here's Capernaum. Jordan River comes down here, Jordan River goes out here. The Sea of Galilee is the water source for Israel. 
Okay? It's the main water source for literally all of the country of Israel. There at Capernaum, Jesus set up his home base for ministry. It was in this area that Jesus was walking along the shore, and he called his first disciples while they were taking care of their nets. And Peter and and his brother Andrew and James and his brother John left their equipment to follow Jesus. It was at Capernaum that the centurion asked Jesus to heal his servant. Luke records the people came and they petitioned Jesus on behalf of the centurion. They said that the centurion, that he loves our nation and that he has built our synagogue. This centurion soldier, Roman soldier, had built the synagogue there in Capernaum for the people. He had a love for the Jewish people. When Jesus agrees to go with them to the centurion to the centurion's home, he told Jesus he was not worthy to have him enter into his house, but simply speak the word and his servant would be healed. Jesus marveled at his faith. It was also at Capernaum that remember whenever the people came to Jesus' disciples and they said, does your master, does he pay the temple tax? And Jesus talks to Peter about it. And then he says, Peter, go out and do some fishing. And the first fish that you catch, open its mouth and you'll find a four drachma coin, and you will be able to pay your tax and mine. And Peter went out and and did that. That was there at Capernaum. It was at Capernaum where Peter's mother-in-law was sick with the fever, and Jesus laid hands upon her and, and ministered to her and brought healing to her body, and she jumped up and began to serve him. It was at Capernaum where many people who have been sick and possessed by demons were delivered and set free. Today, you can stand at that very site. Isn't it something that you can go to the very site of Capernaum? I'm going to show you that video one more time. You can go to the very site, the very synagogue where Jesus would have taught and preached. Um, What they've done is they've built churches over what were holy sites. And because of archaeological information that they found and inscriptions that they found, they've come to believe that Peter's house was right there because they found indications that for hundreds of years, people had been making pilgrimage to there. And that was identified as Peter's house and that there was actually a church, a house church that had been built there. So we have all this stuff happening there at Capernaum, but it wasn't just at Capernaum that Jesus ministered. The Bible says this, that Jesus went throughout the region of the Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. It says that news about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him, Syria where all the excitement's happening right now, People brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain and demon-possessed, those having seizures and paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from the Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region around Jordan followed him. Now, on one occasion, not far down the road from Capernaum, is a place that they've recognized as, they call it the Mount of Beatitudes. It's simply a hill. They have a church built there now. And on the Mount of Beatitudes is where they've come to understand that that's where Jesus spoke when he did what we know as the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. I'd kind of like us to pick up there 
in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. And it says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now Jesus makes clear to his followers here, his relationship to the law. In the modern day America, we kind of have come to think that the law is some kind of terrible thing, that Jesus hated the law, that he broke the law. Jesus came as a first century Jew. He came at a specific time to a specific place. And he says this, he says, he has not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but rather to fulfill them. And what he meant by that is that he's come to establish the law, to give it a right interpretation. We need to understand this. Jesus kept the law. He never sinned. He never broke one of the commandments. The Messiah would not come and break the law to establish his kingdom. And what the scripture teaches us is as as an ancient scribe was diligent in copying the text of God's word, if they made a mistake, they would throw the whole thing away. They would start over. As they were precise in copying the word of God, so Jesus was diligent in carrying out the Lord's commands. Notice what he says in verse 19. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus was trying to teach here, he wanted the people to understand the Father's true intent. Because what happened is, amongst the people, amongst the scribes and and the Pharisees and and the religious leaders of their day, some things had become distorted. Jesus teaches them things like, man wasn't made for the Sabbath, Sabbath was made for the man. That there's something more that God cares about people, and that God loves people, and his concern is for people. And what had happened is the people had become so consumed in making sure that they followed not necessarily God's commands, but they followed the rituals of man and the ideas of man to the point where they didn't care about people. They would abuse people and and hurt people. Now, Matthew 23, then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, he says, the teachers of the law... And the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. He means that they sit in a position of authority. They sit, I showed you the video, of the synagogue. They would read the Torah, and then they would go over and sit in Moses' seat, and they would teach about the law as they sat in Moses' seat. And he says, the teachers, 
and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. So you must obey them and do everything they tell you to do. He says, what they're teaching you is true, but do not do what they do, for they don't practice what they preach. A man today may the church of America, may Lighthouse be a people who practice what we preach. May we not give other people commands and throw out the word of God to them when we don't practice it ourselves. So Jesus says that to him and he says, the righteousness that they were currently looking to, they were looking to the Pharisees and to the, the teachers of the law. They were looking to the priests and to the religious leaders. And he was saying that the righteousness that they're looking to would not be enough for entrance into the kingdom Jesus was offering to them. Now, we're getting back to our text here. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addresses some very specific things. He addresses things like murder, adultery, oaths, and justice. However, Jesus' teaching has a twist. When he speaks about murder, most of us feel like we're off the hook. Right? We feel like we're off the hook. We're good to go. But when he addresses the issue of murder, he addresses the issue of anger in one's heart. When he talks about adultery, he addresses the root cause of lust. When he talks about the importance of keeping one's oath, he deals with the deception that is in people's hearts. And when he talks about the demand for justice, because it's amazing how much people want justice, And in reality, it's just a cover up for wanting revenge. I want you to understand this. Sins are not a list of irritations by a jealous God. They are a description of the impediments to spiritual growth. We are the ones who suffer by forfeiting the development of character and Christlikeness because of sin. And now in verse 21, Jesus says, you have heard it said. That was a way that Jewish teachers taught. And so Jesus says, you have heard it said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now, what is the main... And we're not going to be able to get through the whole Sermon on the Mount. We're going to focus on this one portion here. What is the main point of what Jesus is teaching here in this portion of Scripture? He's teaching that your relationship with the Father is affected by your relationship with other people. That's what he's teaching. When the horizontal relationships are messed up, the vertical relationship is out of line. You cannot have a proper relationship with the Father whenever your vertical relationships are not what they are supposed to be. He's addressing this issue with the people. Jesus says... That whoever is angry with your brother will be subject to judgment. Just as a person who commits murder is subject to judgment. Now, that's hard to take. 
Just as a person, we can understand that the person who commits murder is subject to judgment, but surely not me, Lord. I'm just ticked off. I just think that they're a jerk. I just have these awkward feelings towards them. And Jesus says that he addresses this issue of relationships between other people. Raka is an Aramaic term of contempt. In essence, what we would describe it today would mean you say someone's they're empty-headed. They're empty-headed. They're, you know, maybe you've heard blockhead. These were words of contempt, and they were words of disrespect. And they reveal the attitude in a person's heart that according to Jesus, that person was in danger of the fires of hell. Because of this attitude of contempt and these resentments in a person's heart, Jesus said that they were actually in danger of of fires of hell. Now, the next part is really important for us to understand. Judaism stressed reconciliation between individuals. God would not accept the offering from those who mistreated others and did not make it right. I told you before about how there was, there's no sacrifice for willful sin. I thought I could just say I'm sorry, and he was cool with that. I thought I could kind of do what I want, and I could come and bring my offering, and that kind of cleared my tab. No. There's no sacrifice for willful sin. None. None. There was no sacrifice. It required, what's required is reconciliation. God would not accept their gift. He would only accept an offering made with a pure heart towards him and others. Now, I want you to imagine this. And this is really where our focus is. I want you to imagine that I'm a Jew. And I am coming to bring and present my offering to God. Now, if you're from the tribe of Dan, which would be north of the Galilee region, you would probably have probably five, six, five or six day walk. Now, maybe you can make it faster. I'm not saying that there's people who can't run faster. For me, if I'm walking up and down hills, if I'm having to make my way over mountains and there's not very good roads at that time, let's say a good five or six days. A good Jew would go to the temple three times a year for festival. But the reality of it is, life happens. And there were people who could not go to the temple on a regular basis like that. If you live five or six days away, walk. It takes five or six days to walk there. Oftentimes people, they just could not simply, they just simply could not do it maybe because of health, maybe because of the finances to be able to do it. And so if they could, they would. But there were times that many people, they might get there once a year. There's some people who may live in some of the extended regions of Israel who may only get to the temple every other year or something like that. So can you, I want you to imagine with me, and we know that in the time of Jesus, temple Worship centered around the temple. Sacrifice. Making your offerings to the Lord. That was the hub of Jewish worship. 
And so I want you to imagine with me, I've trudged six days. I, it's Joe and Becky and the three kids. And they've carried the three kids six days journey through the desert, up over mountains. They slip out in the open and they finally get there and they come and they make their offering. It's time for them to present their offering to God. Maybe a lamb. You would stand in line and, and the priests, because at the festivals, Jerusalem exploded. You're standing in line, getting ready to present your offering to the priest. The priest will take your lamb, your goat, or, or your oxen, or your doves, or pigeon, whatever it is that he's offering. And, and he will take them to offer them. And you're standing in line waiting for that. There's crowds of people around there. And he'll take your lamb. In a few moments, he'll take your lamb. He'll take it from your hands, and he'll, at, you're standing at the edge. He'll take it into the place where uh, there at the part of the temple where the priest sacrifice and he'll sacrifice your lamb and then he'll present it to God as your offering to the Lord you're standing before the Lord asking for mercy you're standing before the Lord you're asking for grace you're asking for forgiveness of your sins you're making this offering now I want you to understand understand the position that you're in you're standing there you're getting ready to petition God God have mercy upon me God cover my sins God forgive me As you stand there, it says, as you're standing there, think about this. I traveled six stinking days. I'm tired. As I'm standing there, getting ready to give the priest my lamb when it's my turn, he says, if it comes to your mind and you remember that your brother has odd against you, what are you supposed to do? He says, I want you to leave your gift at the altar, and go and make it right. God, I don't know if you understand. I just walked six days. I want to worship you. I just walked six days. And the wife, walking six days to the desert, she's not a happy camper, right? I took time away from my work. Surely I can just go ahead and make my offering, and you're cool with that. Jesus says no. He says, you leave your gift and you walk those six days back. You make it right with your brother. Come another six days back and then offer your gift to the Lord. Now, why did he say that? See, we think, or I would think, well, worship and sacrifice is the greatest thing I could give to God. Wait a minute. You don't don't understand. This is the central part of our worship, offering sacrifice for our sins and offerings to the Lord. Surely the Lord would want me to go ahead and offer this offering. But see, Jesus is teaching some really intense things to the people. He's saying that there's something more important than your sacrifice. There's something more important to God than temple worship. But that's the central part. But Jesus is teaching them, it's really a new teaching. He's saying more important than the central part of your worship is your relationship with other people. Because if you're out of relationship with them, then you're out of relationship with me. If you're mistreating them, if in your heart, You're saying, you fool, 
they're a jerk. He says that they were in danger of the fires of hell. Verse 23, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Can we put that in today's vernacular? If you're serving in ministry, and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your ministry. Go and be reconciled to your brother. And then come and offer your gift. If you're offering up prayers of intercession for others, and there remember that your brother has something odd against you, leave your prayer closet and go and be reconciled to your brother. And then come and finish your prayers. If you are in the Word in the morning doing your Bible study, and you remember there that your brother has odd against you, Leave your Bible study. Go and be reconciled to your brother. And then come and finish your Bible study. If you're writing out your tithe check and and there you remember that your brother has odd against you, quit writing out the tithe check. Go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come back and finish writing out your tithe check. You see, there's something, Jesus was teaching that there was, a, that there was something more important than sacrifice. Wow. It was this idea of, of living out our faith, of being in right relationship. And in reality, if you read throughout the Old Testament, the prophets, oftentimes they will talk about God's judgment upon the people or God not hearing their prayers. Why? Because somehow they had mistreated other people. Somehow they had abused other people. Somehow they were out of relationship with others. I want you to notice this. Notice that it says, be reconciled to your brother. It says, go and be reconciled. It doesn't say, go and straighten him out. It doesn't say, go and apologize. It doesn't say, go and confess. It doesn't say, go and cut him off. It says, go and be reconciled to your brother. But unfortunately, what many people do is we do the other things that we mentioned. We tell people off. We try and straighten them out. We explain our side of the story. Or more often than not, we just cut people off. The reality of it is that in America, we've come to live in a disposable society. Do you remember the TV repairman? There ain't no TV repairman. When I was a kid, our TV was in the shop a lot. There's no TV repairman. What do we do today? When there's a problem with your TV, what do you do? Throw it out and do what? Get a new one. Yeah. That's what we do. When an appliance breaks, when when a small household appliance breaks, do you take it apart and try and fix it? Throw it out. You throw it out, right? Why? Ah, it's just, why? Listen, because it's easier to throw it away and get another one. It's not worth the work. That's what our mentality is today. It's not worth the work of fixing it or taking the time to fix it. We have disposable cups, paper towels. Back in the day, you had a dish towel and you had a hand towel. You didn't have a bunch of paper towels. You had a hand towel and a dish towel and you'd wash them and dry them. You'd put them back up and you'd save $1.89 a week, right? Right? Back in the day. But our society today, we throw everything away. 
And unfortunately, what's happened is in relationships, that same thing has kind of crossed over to relationships. So whenever you get on my nerves or I get on your nerves or the person down the street does something that just kind of just sets you the wrong way, what do we do? We cut them off. We mark them up. They're a fool. They're a jerk. And then we go on and we offer our ties to God. And we think he accepts it. And we go on and we offer our ministry to God. And we think that he accepts it. And we go on and we offer our service to God. And and we offer our prayers and our Bible studies. And we think that he accepts it. But Jesus is very straightforward here. I remember when I was a kid, Communion Sunday. And it didn't happen all the time, but I wasn't the most spiritual kid. And I'd watch all that's gone on. I remember sitting at the altar and times you'd see people get up during communion and they'd walk across the church and maybe someone else was kneeling there praying and they would kneel down beside them and you'd see them carry on a conversation and when they'd get up, the tears would be running down their face. What were they doing? They were being reconciled to their brother. They were being reconciled to their sister. Friends, that'll bring revival. That will bring revival. That'll bring joy to people's hearts. You want to get free in worship? You want the chains that hold you back to be loosed? Then start being reconciled. You want freedom in your prayer time. You want freedom and liberty in your times of worship. You want to hear God speak to you again. Friends, his word will come alive. You want to start growing once again. You want to start growing once again. Then be reconciled to your brother. We thought it took a lot of courage to walk across the front of the church and see the person before they took of communion, see them walk across the church and sit down with a brother and and you'd see them hugging afterwards. And imagine if you had to walk six days one way. To make things right. Listen to the final word. He warns about the importance of settling matters quickly. That's the last word, verses 25. I don't think this has so much to do with court. I think this last two verses that we're going to read really has to do with that you have a judge. Here you are, you're standing at the edge, ready to give your offering to the priest. And you're asking a just and holy God to have compassion and mercy on you. That's what you're asking for. You're asking him to receive you. You're asking him to accept your offering and to accept you. And what he says, he says, settle matters quickly. Let's look at the verse. And I want you to read it with me. Or you, I want you to look there. Verse 25. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. I don't think that that means settle out of court all the time. I don't think that that's what that means. What that's talking about is that you have a judge. And if you are going to require, if you're going to require a lot of others, and then go and stand before God and present your offering and ask him to accept it. As we close today, I want to encourage you in this. 
if there are things in your heart, we're going to partake of communion in just a minute. But before we do that, I'm going to ask that they're going to dim the lights, and I'm going to ask that you would take a few moments and get with somebody. Somebody. I'm going to ask us to gather with someone around the building. I'm going to ask you to to get with somebody. And before we partake of communion, I'm going to ask you that you just pray for one another about this issue of relationships. If there's a brother or a sister that you have ought against, that before you partake of communion, before you make your offering to God, that you would determine in your heart that you would be reconciled. Listen to these words, Mark chapter 11. And when you stand praying, forgive. If you have odd against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive you your trespasses. Here I stand today. In a moment, I'm going to be partaking of communion. And I'm asking a holy, just God to look upon me favorably, to accept my meager offering, to accept it, to receive me. And just to be honest, he can't receive me. He cannot receive me if I don't have an attitude of forgiveness and reconciliation towards others. He can't. Listen, I don't have to go around and beat people up or do all kinds of things to them to be out of relationship with God and with others. It can be attitudes of my heart. It can be things in my heart. It can be mindsets towards other people. And uh, this is what we're going to do today. We're going to allow you at your leisure. We're going to have the communion elements here. At your leisure, we're going to set them up. And when you're able to say, God, I'm at peace with others. The Holy Spirit will, he'll prompt you. When you're able to say that, I would love to offer you the Lord's Supper. But will you take a few moments and just allow him to speak that to you? Father God, as we prepare our hearts for communion, here we come. We're offering our gifts to you and we ask you to receive us. And Lord, for the people who we've had odd against, the people who we've offended or those who we've hurt, we ask, Lord, that you allow us to be reconciled to them before we bring our offering to you. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would convict us, and I pray that as we do that, I'm going to just prophesy over people that there's going to be joy come into their life. There's going to be freedom that comes into their life. There's going to be laughter. Their hearts are going to be overjoyed. The burdens they've been carrying are going to be gone. The anxieties and the stresses they're under are going to be lessened. So God, I just pray in Jesus' name that as we do that, that you would send revival into our midst. Convict us, Lord, just as guilty as the murderer is. When we harbor bitterness and wrong attitudes towards others, we are just as guilty, that anger. And so Lord, I ask that you would cleanse us and set us free from that. In the name of Jesus.